It is September 10th, 1961. A wall of spectators form along the edge of the Monza racetrack in Italy, one of the most brutal and high-speed circuits in the world. Two racing drivers are speeding over 100 miles per hour. They're battling for position around a 180-degree corner called the Parabolica. Behind the wheel of a red Ferrari is Wolfgang von Trips, a West German count, while Jimmy Clark of Scotland floors a lime green Lotus. As they enter the turn, they're one behind the other, fighting for position. Their wheels touch. Then in the second lap, approaching the curve on the inner section of the road circuit, it happened. The cars spin. The German count is nicknamed Crash because of his tendency to wreck his car, but he has never spewed debris like this. His Ferrari cartwheels up a grass embankment and plows through a fence and into a crowd of spectators. Dust and debris form a cloud around the crash site, obscuring the horror within. Racing stewards come running. Soon, medics are on the scene. How many are dead? No one can say, not yet. But the race goes on. At the end of the day, Phil Hill of California wins the race in a Ferrari. He becomes the first American to win the Formula One World Championship, the most celebrated race title in the world. As he gets out of his Ferrari, he asks about his teammate, Crash von Trips. And Trips? Is he dead? The Ferrari team boss lowers his eyes and pauses before ushering Hill forward. Come on. They want you for the award ceremony. Von Trips is dead, and so are more than a dozen spectators he plowed into. The next morning, the founder and boss of Ferrari cars, Enzo Ferrari, remains secluded behind his factory gates in Marinello, about a two-hour drive from the Monza racetrack. Ferrari is a man so reclusive, he does not attend races, even though his red racing cars are the most famous in the world. Like thousands of others, he saw the crash on television. He stares at the headline in the morning newspaper, 15 dead from the tragedy at Monza. The investigation has begun at the Autodrome. His team has just won a world championship, but at what cost? Enjoy a powerful business upgrade with Dell Technologies' Black Friday in July event. Get amazing savings with up to 50% off high-performance computers and tech built for business. And be able to take your office with you with Windows 10 Pro. Plus, get great offers on Dell servers, monitors, docks, and more, all with easy financing options through Dell Financial Services. Call 877-ASK-DELL. That's 877-ASK-DELL. And speak with a Dell Technologies advisor today. Louisiana's diverse landscapes include dense timber forests and seafood-rich coastlines. And every step along the way, you'll find a business environment that's strong, diverse, and ripe with opportunity. Need proof? Louisiana is where NASA and higher ed partners build rockets that will soon put the first women on the moon. It's also where the port system delivers the most domestic cargo in the U.S. And Louisiana is home to the best workforce development program in the country. See what Louisiana economic development can do for you. Visit OpportunityLouisiana.com today. From Wondery, I'm David Brown and this is Business Wars. 
we're revving up a new three-part series, Ferrari versus Lamborghini. This is a rivalry that's fought over decades with speed, engineering, and the most outrageous automobiles ever to roll down a road in the showroom, on the racetrack, even on movie screens. But it begins with an argument between a famed carmaker and his wealthy client, a blow-up that has become truly legendary in the world of motoring. This is Episode 1, The Gauntlet. Enzo Ferrari has been through this before. Lining the walls of his office are framed portraits of drivers killed while racing his cars. He has been criticized many times for caring more about his cars than the men who race them. Even the Vatican weighed in to scold Ferrari after one particularly bad crash in 1957 during Italy's Mille Miglia, a thousand-mile race run on cordoned off public roads in Italy. Twelve spectators were killed, plus a famous Ferrari racing driver who was severed in two in the process. Now, this time, 14 spectators are dead. The whole world is stunned by the news. A flood of newspaper editorials call for an end to racing and limits on the car's speed. Ferrari is under attack. At the company factory, Ferrari's employees are feeling the pressure. Years of dealing with Enzo Ferrari's arrogance and the stress of building the world's greatest race cars have worn them thin. Over the next days, petty arguments and resentments finally explode into full-scale rebellion, like a tire blowing out. A handful of Ferrari's most important employees quit. Ferrari engineer Giotto Bizzarini is among the deserters. He is disgusted with the company's inertia and furious with the Ferrari family. Bizzarini has long dreamed of outdoing his old boss. What better revenge could he find than to join a company that could build a better car than the Ferrari? To join forces with a new leader? Little does he know, he'll find that man just 20 miles away, a young manufacturer of tractors and air conditioners who has never built a car. Not yet. His name? Faruccio Lamborghini. The departure of Bizzarini and several fellow Ferrari engineers in 1961 becomes known as the Palace Revolt. It's about to ignite one of the most exciting rivalries in all of automotive history. By 1961, the 64-year-old Enzo Ferrari has created a unique empire by indulging his mania for motor racing. Once a racer himself, he quit early on. Some say he had a nervous breakdown because of the sport's violence, though Ferrari himself disputes this story. He claims it was the birth of his first child, Dino, in 1932 that convinced him to stop racing. During World War II, Ferrari builds his factory in the rural town of Marinello. When the war is over, he launches his company, building road cars and selling them to fabulously rich men. His hand-built road cars soon become known as the most exotic vehicles money can buy. Beautifully crafted sculptures of metal, glass, leather, and rubber, packing racing engines. Princes and celebrities wait for hours outside Ferrari's office door, hoping he'll agree to sell them one of his cars. But for Ferrari, these sleek road cars are just a way to fund his lust for exceptional racing machines. 
1962, one year after the Ferrari Palace Revolt. One of the company's wealthy customers, Ferruccio Lamborghini, arrives at the factory. The impetuous young man designs tractors and manufactures air conditioners in Bologna. Lamborghini is a strong-willed businessman in a finely cut suit and tie with thick-framed black spectacles. He loves cars and owns the most coveted machinery in the world, including two Ferrari cars. A porter stands by the factory gate. Behind the gate sits Enzo Ferrari's office, a simple two-story red brick building with the name Ferrari spelled out in bold letters. Ferrari likes to watch the gates to see who's coming and going. Lamborghini is shown into the office. One of his very expensive Ferraris is not operating properly. I'm very unhappy, Enzo. The clutch on my new Ferrari is broken. Enzo Ferrari builds world championship racing cars, and that has fueled a strong streak of hubris. He refuses to believe there's anything wrong with the Ferrari he sold to Ferruccio Lamborghini. The clutch is not the problem. The problem is you don't know how to drive a Ferrari and you break the clutch. Lamborghini is incensed. Signor Ferrari, it is not me that's the problem. It's your cars. No one else has had this problem. Only you. Maybe you need a lesson in operating it. It's the car, I tell you, and you know what? I'll never buy your cars again. Maybe from now on I'll make my own cars, and they'll work the way I want them to. Enzo folds his arms and grits his teeth. The gall of this man. My cars will be better than the Ferrari. So much better, I will build the perfect car. And with that, Lamborghini storms off. Much to Enzo Ferrari's surprise, Ferruccio moves quickly. People shake their heads, tell him this is folly, that he's making a huge mistake, that he'll lose a lot of money, that he won't succeed. Watch me, he says. It's May, 1963. Lamborghini has bought an empty field in Sant'Agata Bolognese, about 20 miles from Enzo Ferrari's home. He builds a factory for his new company, which he names Automobili Ferruccio Lamborghini. Now, he needs talent. He snaps up the motoring master Giotto Bezzarini, who is now a free agent after leaving Ferrari during the Palace Revolt. Bezzarini's new mission is to build a better version of the complex, high-revving V12 engines he built for Ferrari. Ferruccio Lamborghini rolls up his sleeves and joins the team working in his new factory. Then comes the debut. Like the car itself, the event has to be nothing less than fabulous. It is March 12, 1964. In Switzerland, crowds have come to the Geneva Auto Show, one of the biggest car shows in Europe, to see the exotic new machinery on display. They are witnessing history in the making. On a stand, the first Lamborghini prototype car, the four-seat 350 GTV, draws gasps and oohs and ahs. What is it? It looks like a Ferrari, but it's not. It's a Lamborghini. A Lambo what? Like a Ferrari, the new Lamborghini appears stately, exotic, and impossibly aggressive. There is not a flat surface anywhere on this car. It looks like something crafted by a sculptor. The car has sparkling wire-spoke wheels, just like Ferraris do. Its styling is uniquely and unmistakably Italian, just like Ferraris. What it doesn't have 
is an engine. Head engineer Giotto Bizzarini planned to place a V12 engine in this car, but time was too short. So the vehicle is presented to the public with the hood sealed shut and nothing underneath. Enzo Ferrari has not been sitting still. On the other side of the same hall, Ferrari has not one, not two, but three cars on display. There's the 330 GT 2 Plus 2, the 250 GT Lusso, and the Pièce de Résistance, the 500 Superfast. Ferrari will ultimately build only 36 of these 500 Superfasts, which would cost roughly $240,000 today. In 1964, only the richest can even dream of spending that kind of money on a car. Talk of this new rivalry in the motoring world becomes the hottest buzz. By all accounts, Ferruccio Lamborghini's first model is a whopping success, and he begins to sell customer versions with a screaming Bizzarini V12 motor named after his head engineer. At his factory in Marinello, Enzo Ferrari fumes. How dare he have the nerve to challenge me? As 1964 comes to a close, one thing becomes clear. Enzo Ferrari is still king of the road. Even with the unveiling of the Lamborghini, Enzo Ferrari has his best year yet. His cars win the FIA World Sports Car Championship. They win the 24 Hours of Le Mans, the world's most grueling and popular endurance race for the fifth time in a row. And his open-wheel cars win the Formula One World Championship. For the first time, Ferrari produces more than 600 customer cars, and the new Ferrari 500 Superfast becomes known as the world's most stunning and expensive car. The New York Times gushes, just to sit in one feels a bit dangerous. Among the fans who buy this rare model are the British film star Peter Sellers and the Shah of Iran, who buys two. And Lamborghini? From Enzo Ferrari's point of view, the 350 GT is attractive enough. Mr. Lamborghini has built a nice car. But that doesn't mean he can build another. Or can he? Where's my order? Where's my order? Where's my order? Break free from customer support monotony. Welcome to Intercom for Customer Support, the business messenger that uses chatbots, shared inboxes, apps, and more. Intercom's business messenger resolves questions that can be answered automatically, so customer support feels less like Groundhog Day and more like help is on the way. Go to intercom.com support to learn more about Intercom's business messenger for customer support. Birthdays, holidays, promotions, getting that last sprinkle donut. There's a lot in this world worth celebrating, but nothing is worth celebrating more than knowledge, especially knowledge that will pay off, like understanding how compound interest works, knowing how to check your investment professional's background, or figuring out your risk tolerance, or finally understanding all those terms your friends keep throwing around like ETF, ESG, and ICO. Go to Investor.gov today to learn about these investment products and more. How much do you already know about investing? Find out by putting your financial knowledge to the test with their new investment quiz. Investor.gov is your unbiased resource for valuable investment information, tools, and tips. Before you invest, Investor.gov. 
By the mid-1960s, the region of Emilia-Romagna in Italy has become known as the noisy nirvana of automobiles. Metal workers, mechanics, and leather artisans are working at a feverish pace. Not only are the Ferrari and Lamborghini factories here, Maserati was founded in this region and still builds its cars here. The small but magnificent motorcycling company Ducati is here too, and an Argentinian-born car manufacturer named De Tomaso, who will soon become famous for building the Pantera and the Mangusta. Still, nothing eclipses the power and fame of Enzo Ferrari. It's May 10th, 1967. At the Grand Prix of Monaco, Formula One cars race through the narrow streets of Monte Carlo. Lorenzo Bandini, an Italian driver in the number 18 Ferrari, is running second. He speeds into the famous harbor straightaway that runs along the Mediterranean Sea. Mediterranean sun glinting behind the uh, rooftops now in the late afternoon. But Bandini's wheel hits the guardrail and his car spins out of control. It lands upside down on the pavement and blows up in a ball of fire. Thousands of television viewers watch the scene in horror as American television cameras keep rolling. Now Bandini. Bandini's crashed. Good Lord, look at that. Uh, the car, it looks like it's upside down, Phil. Tremendous fire. This is gasoline, remember, they use in these automobiles. Rescue workers pull Bandini's scorched and brutalized body from the wreckage. He dies three days later. He is a national hero in Italy, a modern gladiator of the motoring age, who gave his life competing for his home country in a Ferrari. 100,000 people attend his funeral. Once again, at his factory, Enzo Ferrari is at the center of the storm of controversy. How can the world continue to condone such violence in the name of sport. Truth is, the deaths of these drivers seem to spur more interest in racing and in Ferrari's customer road cars, vehicles that will become, four decades later, worth millions upon millions of dollars. But Ferrari remains almost a hermit. In the rare instances he grants interviews, he is both poetic and cryptic. Everything I've done, probably, I did because I couldn't do anything less. One day, I want to build a car that's faster than all of them, and then I want to die. In his autobiography, he describes his relationship to his cars. This kind of love, which I can describe in almost a sensual or sexual way within my subconsciousness, is probably the main reason why for so many years I no longer went to see my cars race to think about them, to see them born, and to see them die. Because in a race, they're always dying, even if they win. It is unbearable. The aura of the man in his racing cars draws devoted followers. One race car driver describes it this way. I understood that Ferrari is a religion. How can any upstart compete with that? Ferruccio Lamborghini is desperate to find out. At his factory, Lamborghini must figure out how to improve on his first car, the 350 GT. 
He knows he can never compete with Enzo Ferrari in racing. Instead, he will compete with his road cars. He sets out to build cars that are so luxurious, so beautiful, so fast, they will conquer the world through sheer aesthetics and performance. One day, three of his engineers come to him with the design they've been working on in their own time. The men are 27 years old, young hotshots. Lamborghini spreads their papers out on his desk. He peers at their design and cocks his head. The design is unlike anything he or anyone else has ever seen. The car's designed to hold its engine just behind the two seats. The weight of the motor is placed between the two axles, just like in a Formula One car and the latest prototype racing cars. This mid-engine design is unheard of for a customer car. And the body of the car, it looks like it could blast off into space. It has a long nose and a tapered back end with curved fenders that arc over the front wheels and muscular hips in back. Lamborghini furrows his brow and draws a deep breath before commenting. This design makes me nervous. It is so revolutionary, so technologically advanced, so risky. Are we building race cars for the road or or the racetrack? The question is profound. The answer will determine the entire direction of the company. After thinking it over for days, Lamborghini invites the engineers back into his office. I've made a decision. We will build this new car. The engineers turn to each other and smile. They'll celebrate later. For now, we'll call the new car the P-400. I'll have a better name later. And I want you to have it ready for the Geneva Auto Show. The three men are stunned. That's just weeks away, hardly any time at all. As the 1966 Auto Show approaches, the team finishes the car, but not the engine. Once again, the prototype Lamborghini will debut with its engine compartment sealed shut and no motor inside. Lamborghini is always identified with his astrological sign, the Taurus, the symbol of the bull. He decides to name this new car the Miura, after a lineage of fighting bulls from the region of Sevilla, Spain. The name will endure for the company's entire history. March 1966. Once again, car enthusiasts flock to the Geneva Auto Show, but the real draw is the simmering rivalry between the exotic Italian car makers. Ferrari has on display its new 365 California Cabriolet, a two-seat convertible with a long, sleek shape so elegant it looks more like a piece of art than a piece of machinery. Only 14 will ever be built. It's a sexy beast, with a top speed of 149 miles per hour, making it the fastest convertible in the world. But to Ferrari's dismay, the new Lamborghini Miura is coming up fast in its blind spot. And it is a shocker. The Miura's body is low-slung with wide hips and louvers around the front lights that look like eyelashes. The whole package is beautiful simultaneously elegant and badass. One journalist struggles to describe this new car, settling on four simple words. Breathtaking. Beautiful. Shocking. Revolutionary. 
When the Lamborghini Miura finally goes on sale, it has a 4-liter, 350-horsepower V12 engine derived from the original Bizzarini design. The car is nothing less than the fastest customer vehicle in the world with a top speed of roughly 170 miles per hour. And it can go from 0 to 60 miles per hour in just over 6 seconds. The price? About $20,000, or around $160,000 today. That's a lot of money, considering the car is being built by a brand new company with little track record to lean on. Years later, the Lamborghini Miura will be called the first supercar. It will also be called, countless times through the years, the most beautiful car ever designed. The Miura has put Lamborghini on the map, internationally. And it's only a matter of time before this beauty goes to Hollywood. It is 1969, and moviegoers all over Europe and the U.S. line up to see a new film called The Italian Job. True, Michael Caine has the leading role, but for many, the Miura is the real star. It's impossibly sexy and fast, bright red, purely Italian. The film opens with a man smoking a cigarette while motoring at a high speed through the Alps. The driver crashes the Miura into a bulldozer and bursts into flames. It is great movie watching, but by the 1970s, the perspective shifts. The crash and that fireball come to symbolize what is about to happen to both Lamborghini and Ferrari. Trouble is on the horizon big trouble. On the next episode, Lamborghini and Ferrari fight it out with dazzling new models, ever-increasing speeds, and even bigger roles in iconic movies, all against the backdrop of the harrowing 1970s oil crisis. Lambo builds the most outrageous car of them all, but Ferrari has an answer. From Wondery, this is Business Wars. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You'll find a link on the episode notes. Simply tap or swipe over the cover art. And you'll also see some offers from our sponsors. We hope you'll support our show by supporting them. If you like what you've heard, we would love it if you could give us a five-star rating and tell your friends how to subscribe. Another way to support us is to answer a short survey at Wondery.com slash survey. It doesn't take very long at all. Don't forget to tell us what business war stories you'd like to hear. We should say something about the conversations you've been hearing in this episode. We can't know exactly what was said, but this dialogue is based on our best research. I'm your host, David Brown. A.J. Bame wrote this story. Karen Lowe is our senior producer and editor. Emily Frost edited this story. Our editor and producer is Jenny Lauer-Beckman. Sound design by Bay Area Sound. Our executive producer is Marshall Louie, created by Hernan Lopez. For Wondering. Hey, I'm Mike Corey, the host of Wondery's show, Against the Odds. In our next season, I'm telling an amazing true story about American sailors who wrecked their ship off the coast of Africa in 1815. They're captured by a nomadic tribe. To escape, they will need to cross the largest hot desert in the world to reach civilization. 
they will battle against blistering heat, inhumane conditions, hunger, and thirst. Their heroic fight to get home will have a much greater impact than just on their own lives. It will influence a future president and change the course of American history in ways that are still felt today. This is the true story of the men who made it, and it's one that you don't want to miss. Subscribe to Against the Odds on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, The Wondery App, or wherever you're listening right now.